Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Black Expat Experience, a podcast and live show highlighting the lived experiences of Black expats around the world. I am Kendall Tyson, your host, licensed therapist, and a fellow Black expat. And tonight we have another great episode in store for you. And I would like to welcome our newest guest to the show, Zoe Smith. Hi, Zoe. Hey, Kendall. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. Yes, I'm so grateful for you being able to take the time, you know, going back and forth a little while. We finally were able to work it out. Um, I think one of the things you said, this is literally the what happens when expats try to get together. Um, <laughs> so, well, to get started, I at one point would love to read people's bios, but what I began to do, which I think is so much more powerful, is giving you like the opportunity to start us off by telling us who you are, what you'd like to know as an introduction. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I am Zoe Smith. From my accent, you can tell I'm originally from the UK. That's where I was born. I was born in London. But my folks hail from Grenada in the Caribbean. So that's where I currently am. Um, I'm a journalist by trade. I started off doing that when I was 14 years old. Um, and yeah, I've kind of meandered around the world of media, communications. Um, and yeah, that's, that's me. I'm a mum of three as well. Um, but yeah, I love traveling. I love experiencing other cultures and being here, connecting with you is just, is really awesome. So thank you. Thank you, thank you. for that four-way, for my things, for my four-way, for the four-way into uh, your journey. So from Grenada, did I get it right, Grenada? Exactly, not Grenada, Grenada, 10 points to you. Okay, <laughs> I'm so glad, like I'm from Texas and so the way I pronounce things is so different sometimes than what it actually is supposed to sound like. <laughs> um, how long did you live in uh, the UK? Were you, yeah, how long did you live there? Yeah, I was born there. I was born, okay. I was born in London. Um, I left to go to Scotland for university, then left to live in Milan after I graduated, um, spent a while in Ibiza, Spain, um, when my partner was working out there. But I've always come back, I've always come back to the UK. Um, in my 20s and 30s, I never intended to be based there, but obviously having children and me to end up, it takes you a little bit longer to escape. Um, so yeah, I feel, I was going to say for a while that I had like a love-hate relationship with the UK. I mean, I know for a lot of folks in North America, America UK feels like a wonderful place. You know, you have the Queen, you have all this history, but as a Black person living there, it's uh, uh, complex, shall we say. Um, but yeah, I think the longer I'm away, the more I'm learning to appreciate what it does have to offer and the very far behind all the nonsense. Okay. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, you're right. As like a Black American, it all looks, you know, so glamorous, or at least it did until all the recent debacle with everything yeah. happening in the UK. <laughs> Um, and all the, all the things happening there. Um, but I think I kind of, I kind of get what you're saying. I feel the same about being a Texan, um, or an American, like there's so much to love about the country and my state. And then there's so many things that are just beyond embarrassing that make it difficult to speak up for it and, or even want to return, um, right. 
Because I think one of the things that I've really been grappling with recently is what does returning home look like? Uh, I don't, I don't know if I could do that full time again. I I really don't. What do you say about that? Yeah, no. (laughs) No, I mean, I think if I was like really sick and needed like long-term medical care, I would go back to the UK because their healthcare is paid for, right? It's paid for by your taxes. So that'd be an incentive to turn, return. Uh, Other than that, I, I can't think of any really. If my family was sick, I would probably bring them here or somewhere else. No, yeah. I just, I mean, the wet, the weather's awful. It's grim. And I think once you've gone and then you go back, like I was there for Christmas, I was like, how did I live here? It's so <laughs> really? No. So I, I'm really appreciative for everything I've had. I've been able to have a great education, um, great career, make awesome contacts. That wouldn't have been the case if my family hadn't left Grenada in the 1950s. Like my lived reality, if I was born and brought it here in Grenada, would have been totally different. So I do appreciate what I've had. But at the same point, I think given that as Black folks, we do have the ability to move, we're not stuck on a plantation, we can make wiser choices. And uh, to move felt like the right choice for me and also for, for my kids to give them a different reality where they're not minorities, where they're not having to deal with nonsense in schools, nonsense from the police, you know, all of that stuff. It just felt, yeah, not necessary. Yeah. And I would imagine that it's even more salient now that you have, you know, children and other people that you're responsible for, you know, thinking about the kind of life that you were provided, especially with the immigrating into, you know, the UK and now being able to live your life all over the world it's like of course that would be a choice that you make for your kids I couldn't I couldn't see raising kids I have all these thoughts in my head right now I couldn't see raising my kids full-time in the United States I obviously have family there um but I want to ask you as a mother you know I'm thinking business owner the Exodus Collective um journalist, if that's still what you're leaning into, all of the ways in which you identify and hats that you wear. I wonder, what do you think has been one of the most impactful or the most impactful experience that you've had as you've lived your life around the world? Oh, gosh, the most impactful experience. Um <clears throat> I think generally the most impactful experiences that I've had, I mean, they've been like really fun experiences and like adventurous experiences, but I think ultimately like the experiences that bring you into yourself to like a greater understanding of self, I think that's where the greatest growth arises. Um, And yeah, I think there's just been times, the times when I pushed myself out of my comfort zone. Um, So choosing to go to school. I was the only person from my school who went to university in Scotland. And it was kind of scary, but also nice to think, wow, I mean, I know in the US terms, it's not far, but in the UK to be 600 miles away from your home is a significant distance. Yeah. Scary and nice. Um, Choosing to go to to work in Italy after I finished university and to, to work for an Italian company, to be forced to speak Italian every day like that really kind of pushed me to like push me out of my comfort zone 
Um, so I think, yeah, the, the points at which I've been, where I've chosen to kind of not stay comfortable and to kind of push at the edges, I think that's probably created the most shift um, and resulted in the most impact in terms of what becomes possible for me. Oh my goodness. You know, thanks for sharing that. I literally have, I've written down as you were talking, maybe three or four different titles for <laughs> this episode. And one of them that just really stuck with me is, you know, pushing the edges of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And when I hear that, I hear expansion. I hear like leaning into the discomfort of growth. I mm -hmm. hear you know, the opportunity of just being in different surroundings and soaking all of that up to kind of, as you said, grow into yourself. And it just feels so exciting um, as I hear you say that and as it connects to some things over the last five years, at least that I've been abroad. Um, I, I honestly believe that making the decision to live your life internationally is an exercise and in, in pushing yourself, you know, pushing the edges of like your experience and your, your, in education, we call it like the zone of proximal development, um, okay. have them right above like their skill level, just so they can be stretched not too far. And then it's like really overwhelming, but I feel like that on a daily basis, that is just right above my, the, the level of tolerance that you're still able to function and grow, but you're really having to look into yourself to just step outside of your comfort zone, shift your perspective, change how you see the world, you know, lean into a new way of being. Um, yeah, everything that you said is so exciting. And being yeah, a- it's Go ahead, sorry. It's exciting and also terrifying at the same time, if I'm honest. <laughs> I just want easy. I just want easy. Why can't it just be like delivered to me on a plate? And uh, especially living on an island. I think when I get island fever, it's about that. It's, a, it's about the fact that, yeah, a lot of what I knew, a lot of what just came to me at the click of my fingers isn't available. Like I'm surrounded by water. There's no way I'm going to get it. And that, yeah, that can be a little what's the word, spicy at times, but it's what I asked for, right? So um, you kind of, back it up it can be painful at times it can be challenging but you know at the end of it if you try and be mindful about it it does lead you forward or I don't know what that is in the direction of expansion yeah I, you know but share with us how <clears throat> you just said something really important like when you when you recognize that this is what you chose and mm -hmm. you have, we call them out here China days where it's just like, oh, okay, nothing's working and I'm frustrated and <laughs> I need to just sit with it or do something. What does yeah. that process look like for you when it just seems like everything is working against you? There's just a level of frustration. You have to remind yourself again, this is what I asked for. How do you work through those, whatever those feelings are? What What is a process that you engage in to kind of, get settled so you can make a move yeah I think it's 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 very I mean in this stay here it, it's evolved um so initially it was like going to a bar <laughs> 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 I'm gonna drink my way out of it um 
but it's turned into they're like people that I can call on you know it you've been through it as well and you can kind of not tell me to, I mean they empathize like empathy is important so yeah. there are other that's repats whatever you want to call them you can empathize and that helps um and just talking through it can really be useful um I also at times just acknowledge that that's what I'm feeling also acknowledge that, that I'm being a little bit silly um, but also what what really helps is me just getting into the water um there's like a beach maybe a minute's drive I shouldn't walk a minute's drive from my house and I just get into the sea and like the um the temperature difference is calming the sound of the ocean is calming and yeah sometimes you just need to like throw yourself into nature because yeah, it just it just balances me. It it rebalances me. Yeah, when I hear you share that, it reminds me of some of the the most impactful things that as a clinician, a mental health clinician, we tell people get outside in the sun, get out in nature, connect mm-hmm. and be still, right? Yeah. Um, to kind of help work through any type of overwhelm that you're experiencing. And I've seen pictures of um, Grenada. Oh, did I say it right? You did again, okay. yeah. And maybe I need to visit. Um, yeah. I've seen pictures and what I've seen is beautiful, but I'd like to know from your perspective as someone from the island, someone living there, you know, experiencing the culture, what do you love about the country? Um, I think what I love about the country is just the sense of peace. Like it's a very chilled out island. Um, it's not super touristy. It's not as touristy as St. Lucia or Jamaica or Barbados. So if you kind of want a lot of amenities on offer, that's confined to quite a small section of the island. Um, but it's just peaceful. It goes at quite a slow pace. The people are really chilled out. Um, you can lie on the beach and no one's going to come up to you and offer to sell you anything. It's just really, it's laid back. Um, and I think it has that effect on you. And also the nature as well. It's, it's just really abundant, bright colors, lush. Um, so in all aspects, you just end up feeling quite nurtured. I remember when um, I was recovering from COVID a few weeks ago. Oh my God. I, in China, when they opened everything up, it was, it was like, I, it did not matter how vigilant I was, um, how much I stayed home. Literally everybody I know contracted COVID. And luckily, I don't want to say luckily because I still have lots of anxiety about it. Um, It was just the Omicron strain. You know, everybody here was vaccinated. But it just, yeah, all the the confidence stuff just shows up at at the least opportune moment. And it just makes me think about I don't know when I, when, when I got sick here, you know, being single, um, it's kind of like my life was flashing before my eyes and my mental health wasn't in the best space. So I wonder like, when it comes to, is your, is your family on the Island or are they back in the UK? Not really. Um, my uncle is here. He's in the, in the North of the Island, but he's like off doing his own thing. So yeah, no, I have like distant relatives who I don't really know. So I don't have like a support, a familial support system. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. But um, I had a similar thing. I got COVID in April. Oh, okay. And just by chance, my dad had come out to visit. 
And if he hadn't been here, I don't know what I would have done because I was like properly sick. Wow. I was like, I passed out. And uh, yeah, it's moments like that as a, as a single woman and me with responsibility as well. It kind of, yeah, that's a little bit dicey. <clears throat> I was like, yeah, I really need a plan in place. And I still have a plan in place. So thank yeah. you for reminding me. You are so and, welcome. Uh, yeah, I need to sort that out, eh? Well, I'm, you know, thank you for sharing that. That makes me think about, makes me want to really connect into the whole community aspect of being an expat, living abroad, you know, moving between countries. What When you think of like the concept of like community and chosen family, especially having, having gone through something like COVID and having your children, right? What, what does that mean to you? Like, what would that look like for you at this stage of your life? Yeah, this is the thing that I'm working on for 2023. Because I, I, one, I don't like asking for help. And two, I'm kind of an introvert. So there are lots of people around me. And uh, I think maybe people reach out to me more than I reach out to them. I mean, I, I'll reach out to something quite a, I wouldn't say superficial, but quite a, a little surface yeah so okay. I say surface. that's much better um so yeah in terms of my community it isn't as strong as it could be and I think in part it's because I feel like my immediate priority is my kids right so whatever they want to do that's kind of where the direction that we end up head, heading yeah. but yeah the, the long-term implications are that in the COVID situation I didn't have anyone that I could you know there were there were people that I could have called but I didn't feel comfortable calling exactly. because I hadn't. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's, again, getting out of my comfort zone. This year, I have to get out of my comfort zone and build community, um, which is exciting. I mean, because when in my 20s, I was, you know, out all the time. If I was in my house on a Thursday or a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday night, I got anxiety. I'm like, why am I out? Why am I not socializing now? All I want is to be on my sofa. But that's not good. I need to change that. Um, so one of the things I'm looking to do this year is really to try and create events for folks coming to the island so that they can connect. Because I'm not, it's not, it's different different to bigger cities where you'll have like your expert meetups or your yeah. like there isn't really much of that here. Um so yeah, I know that I'm not I'm not the only one who needs it. Other folks are asking me for it. So Creating that and starting to be social again is on my to-do list for 2023. Well, I'm so and it's, nice to it's nice to hold space for people too. It is. I hear that. I So what I hear you also saying is that you're about to be, once again, pushing the edges of yourself and of your comfort zone. And it's not just going to be for your benefit, but it's going to be for the benefit of external community. And, and I imagine growing your business, um, which sometimes it's easier to do those things when it's not related to something that you necessarily need, but it's attached to something that's going to help you grow in other areas. Because there's just, there's, there's, there's the demand, right? oh, can you do this? Can you do that? You know, do you want to do this? As opposed to leaning into the the why of what's making it so difficult for me personally to not do these things. Um, what do you Yeah, think? I, don't, I don't feel 
the demand, I don't feel comfortable with the demand. I feel like a huge sense of responsibility. And that's just my weirdness. Um, so it's taking me a while to sit with it and be like, okay, you kind of got to do it anyhow. And it's also for my kids, like my kids need the crew. I think my kids are being affected by me not being as sociable as I could be. Yeah. Um, I remember growing up, I wouldn't say, actually no, my parents were quite sociable, but we used to go to church. Like I'm not in the slightest bit religious. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really like going to church for the church side of things, but what came with church was like a ready-made group of friends yeah. and a ready-made group of families that we knew. And I know how I'm, how much I benefited from that as a kid and the fact that my kids don't have that. Clearly, I'm not going to start going to church. So what, do, what does the alternative look like? What does an alternative, as you said, alternative family look like? So that's yeah. also another incentive to, to do that. Yeah, that concept of chosen family is really important Like when, when creating community. I would especially say for expats, um, just living anywhere in the world, how do we connect with others that help us to kind of feel more rooted and supported? And then when things do happen, which we know that they will, not, you know, knowing that there's somebody there to provide that level of foundation and support external to ourselves. And I was thinking about, you know, your children, like what, what would that look like for them to be connected and to be able to have an expanded, you know, version of life abroad um, that you were able to have when you were a child. Yeah, I mean, they're they're quite unique, my kids. Uh, they they their attachment to the UK is a lot stronger than mine. Mm. Um, so the process of them settling is, yeah, it's it's layered. Um, but I think, in some ways they're kind of in between. So they're in some ways happy to interact with local children and other ways they realize that they are different. Um, I think where they feel the best fit is with other kids who are also international, but um, where it's located in the Caribbean chain, Grenada um, is quite a destination for folks, folks on boats, for families living on yachts. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. They hang out where the kids are just, they, they come from like Tahiti, they're on their way to Panama, they originally from France. So like those sort of kids, they really just connect with because they're the sort of kids who just know how to get on anywhere, right? Yeah. They don't expect you to be the same as them. They understand that everyone's like coming from different contexts and they just kind of get on with it. So I think that's where they feel they're fit. Um, but at the same time, I didn't come to Grenada just for them to hang out with a whole lot of international kids like I do want them to connect with local kids too so yeah. that's yeah. that's a negotiation that might take years <laughs> I imagine right you know I work at an international school um here in the city and in in Beijing where I am and you know working with what we call third culture kids is really important helping them to feel settled in their identity helping them to I think figure out for themselves what does community look like where is home and if I notice that a lot of them struggle with that that groundedness of if I were to say this is where I'm from where would that be um so it sounds as if you know your kids will honestly have the gift of possibly the UK is you know what I would call have called home before or Grenada is now going to be um, a historical opportunity to connect with my culture 
and family and like reestablish what that means for them. Um, and it really does, from my experience as a clinician working with children and families, it really does help them like mental health wise. It helps them to, you know, empathize with other people, really understand themselves, expand themselves as well. So kudos to you as a mom. Well, yeah, hopefully. Or I'll be like block booking sessions with you. Yeah, it really could. But the, the I think the key is leaning into the discomfort, which nobody wants to do, right? That discomfort is a really good place for growth. Um, yeah. and it just teaches you a lot about yourself. And I think the more that, you know, you create these open conversations, these really, the one thing I tell, well, one of the things that I tell parents all the time is you have to create spaces of safety. If you want them to be open and honest, you don't have to like anything that they say, but if you want them to share, they have to feel safe and heard um, mm -hmm. not agreed with all the time, but like a level of understanding and there's, there's going to be misunderstanding because y'all are from different generations. You're different people. Right. Um, but if I could give any unsolicited, uh, advice, it is what is, what is a safe space of sharing look like as you're storming and norming and figuring out, you know, how do we make this place home and how do we get connected and stay connected? Um, that's definitely what I'd offer. Thank you very much. It's the check is in the post. That's good advice. We'll work on it today. <laughs> we'll we'll do the barter system for this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like I love to see other black women doing amazing things with an idea. And I'm really curious how can you share with us the genesis of the Exodus Collective? Mm, yeah. Um, so I've been coming to Grenada on and off since 2015, probably two or three times a year. And friends have started to ask, like, how do you do it? Why do you do it? Um, and it was always in the back of my mind being a journalist to kind of try and document or communicate, like, how to set yourself up in Grenada. Um, but then in 2020, um, after the murder of George Floyd, things, things just felt so kind of heightened. Being in the UK, there was a lot of stuff bubbling up. Um, a friend of mine from the US who'd also been living in Grenada but was stuck in the US, we were just talking. And we were kind of saying, like, it really feels as if folks need another option in terms of just being somewhere where you can just be, where you don't have to, like, sort of guard yourself against daily life. Yeah. Um, that was really aware that in terms of um, black folks moving to Africa, there was like a lot of um, commentary around that, but in terms of the Caribbean, it wasn't really a destination on people's agenda just because, I don't know, either people think it's a place that you only go to on holiday or that you retire to, or you've got to be a millionaire to live here. Um, so I just wanted to kind of tell the stories of ordinary folks who'd moved there, people in their 20s and 30s and 40s, who didn't necessarily have a ton of money, you may not even always have had a family connection to the island or any of the islands, um, but to just document what that what that was like so that other people can see themselves taking those steps. Um, so it was originally just going to be a blog, um, but my friend said that she doesn't like to write, why don't we try YouTube? And I was like, well, I'm not putting myself on YouTube. I'm really private, but I don't do videos, so that's just 
that's not going to happen. Um, and then she ended up getting taken off on another project. We'd done two videos. So I was like, well, I guess I've got to keep on doing it. Um, and it kind of just started from there, really. Um, it was storytelling. It then evolved into folks reaching out, trying to find out how they could move. Um, and yeah, it just keeps on evolving, really. Um, so it feels nice to have those conversations about the Caribbean, especially because it's a region where folks have typically left. Like, so they've gone to the US, they've gone to Canada, they've gone to the UK. So there is this kind of concept of a brain drain. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really nice for folks to move back um, and see what they can contribute to the islands because as beautiful as they are, um, there is there's significant issues in terms of poverty, unemployment. Um, so yeah, it's kind of ideally a win-win for everyone, for those moving back, but also for the islands receiving fresh talent as well. Yeah, I appreciate that, um, that explanation. Um, it's kind of like what we have in the U.S. They call like the, well, in one, when, in one sub, subset, like the white flight, right? Mm -hmm. um, and even with, with, you know, gentrification and things happening, we're not investing in our communities of color we're moving out to other places. So I have friends, you know, back home in the US that are flipping that on its head, kind of like, you know, what you're explaining that you're trying to do and how do we reinvest into our neighborhoods and how do we as, oh God, am I middle-aged? Oh my God, I'm 41. Ooh, is, is that middle? I don't know. <laughs> I'm 42. I, it's, it doesn't sit quite right. I refuse to own it. <laughs> Um, as maturing um, people of the world, I'd say, you know, what does that look like to reinvest and to bring back and to build in our own communities? And so that that feels so exciting. Um, it sounds like to be at the at the tip, the spearhead of something where people are coming back, you know, and reinvesting in the community and helping the culture grow. What's your yeah, um, I think there are a few people. So there are folks in Jamaica, a group called Black Expats and Repats in Jamaica. Okay. Um, there's Barbados Black Pats, Black Pats. I think it's something like that. Um, and myself. So I think there's just there's just a shift happening. Also because in the era of like remote work, like so many people can be anywhere. You can yeah. start a business anywhere. So like where you're born and where you happen to pay taxes now doesn't have to be where you stay. Um, so really the goal is just to kind of promote the Caribbean as a destination, as a region where folks can choose to be established. Um, I think especially in the uncertain times that we're facing now with um, what's happening in Ukraine, impending recession, everything, folks are kind of beginning to explore the idea that there are alternatives. Um, and I think for many folks, the fact that the Caribbean is just a short fly, flight away from the US and if most places speak English, it, it is quite a comfortable destination in some ways. Um, yeah. So really just to kind of promote the Caribbean beyond tourism, beyond a place that you can retire, but actually to position it as a place of innovation mm. um, where folks can settle and build like I think it's folks who who want like for whom lifestyle is important right like if you want to 
billion dollar business, you're probably not going to move to Grenada. You're probably not going to move to Barbados. But um, if nature, chilled living is also part of what's important, um, then you might consider it as an option. Yeah, I hear yeah. We know that in the age of technology and, you know, what is it, drop shipping and having, um, <clears throat> like myself, a, like a virtual business, I, my therapy practice, I can work, you know, anywhere in the world. So I, I, I appreciate that vision. And, you know, when you think about, <clears throat> I have tons of questions. When you think about making the decision to go back to Grenada, I'm wondering, what has been like one of the the biggest growth opportunities that you've faced as you've made this particular transition? Yeah, I mean, I think I really had to dig deep. I really had to dig deep, even though I wanted to do it. Like everyone thought I was insane. Like my own dad is like, why are you taking my grandchildren to a tiny island? Like there's nothing there. Like he's not, even though he was born here, he left when he was eight, but he's not the biggest fan of Grenada. Yeah. Um, their dad wasn't happy about me moving them here. We had to go through mediation in order for mm -hmm. me to kind of come up with an agreement. Um, and there were times where I'm like, are you, is this really going to work? Can you really do it? Um, so I think it, it was just really an opportunity to kind of foster self-belief mm. um, and to just trust the process because there were times when I'm like, am I crazy? Am I out of my mind? Um, but I, don't, I mean, I am a little bit, but not 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 enough to me that it was the wrong decision. Right. Um, so yeah, it's kind of it was it just really just made me have to trust myself. Mm. Um, and even when there were times when it hasn't gone as smoothly as I thought it would, still trusting in like what's the greater purpose of this? I believe that there is a purpose to it. Yeah. So that's that. Even if other people don't get it. Even if my dad is like, why you should come back, la 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 la. Um, it's yeah, it just kind of forces kind of that thing, it forces you to work, forces you to um, yeah, just do things differently with more in a more assured way, I think. Yeah. I thank you for offering that because when you when I hear you say trusting yourself, I really, I really hear a lot of knowing that being a trailblazer is not easy. And I think as Black people, you know, we have family members with lots of opinions. And <laughs> it's kind of like this, This I don't know who said this, and I'm, I'm loosely paraphrasing. Um, other people can't understand your dream because it wasn't given to them. And mm -hmm. so they can only see things from their level of perception. And I know with a lot of the interviews that I've had, people that I've talked to, our families can either maybe sometimes both either be like our greatest source of support. Yeah, go do it. We, you know, we got you. Duh, duh, duh. Or they can be some of our biggest detractors, which add a lot of noise to an already confusing process. So when you're sharing, trust in yourself. I'm wondering if you were like to give advice and counsel to another young woman that is trying, hey, hey babies, we love the babies. Um, she's hot, so she's oh, gotta no. go. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say nada? Thanks, I'm in a live interview. <laughs> oh, yes. 
like if you were if you were mentoring, giving advice and counsel to another young woman like ourselves um, that wants to take that leap, I think, you know, what would you offer? What would you say? I mean, I think in terms of me understanding it, one of the books that I read was um, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Mm. Um, and I kind of just stumbled across it, <clears throat> but I think understanding that a lot of what seems like uh, negativity or lack of support isn't really about you specifically, it's about what that lack of safety represents yeah. and understanding that everything that we've been through as people, the desire to keep people safe, like don't escape, stay on the plantation, like that kind of comes from a place of perhaps distorted love or love, mm-hmm. but love not based on like deep understanding. So I think learning how not to take other people's resistance personally, hearing it, accepting it, packaging it. I mean, like, to be honest with my dad, I've kind of had to put up boundaries. Like, I'm like, I don't need to take these calls. I know what this call is going to be about. I love you. But in terms of where I am right now, it's not going to add anything. So we're going to package that. And I will deal with yeah. it later. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think just understanding yourself, really under having perhaps compassion for where the other person's coming from, but also setting boundaries if you know what you're doing makes sense and just follow through on that and kind of let the chatter fall to the side I really like that I'm so glad you said one of my favorite words my one of my favorite b words at least um boundaries um it's really key and it's really having a, a healthy understanding that other people do not have to agree they're not, they do not have to understand and that boundaries are really an act of self-preservation. And it, it is all in alignment with what you've said when you begin to trust yourself more, when you are leaning into what your mission, what you believe your mission to be. <clears throat> and you can silence like the chatter, right? Setting yeah. those, those really healthy boundaries, not the rigid ones where nothing gets in, but also nothing gets out. <clears throat> Just... Yeah, trust is, that's literally my word for 2023 is trust. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah, and for me, boundaries is, uh, I, I'm, I I don't, boundaries has been something that I've struggled with, especially in, in terms of how I was raised. Mm. There's only in life that I've come to be like, it's okay. You don't have to please everyone. Like, I'm not here to be pleasant. I mean, I like to be nice. But if I'm being nice at the expense of myself, then that makes no sense. But it's taking that. a while to that. It's yeah. While. I, I think um a lot of communities of the global majority, I don't like to use the word minority because we're definitely not that, really have a hard time like conceptualizing the fact that I can set up these barriers and still love you. It's not mm. an either or right? It can be a both and, um, and how do we all respect one another's lives that I'll go with the word expanding again in all these different directions, which directly ties to, I would imagine how our parents raise us to be independent, (laughs) to be knowledgeable, to be, you know, explorers, um, intelligent. And it's kind of like, if these are the ways that you are cultivating us to be, and then we get the opportunities to grow in those ways. You can't be the force that's 
being a barrier to our growth. And I think that's yeah. a difficult conversation um, that a lot of us have had to have in our, you know, families of origin. I'm wondering, what do you think? Yeah, and I think as you hear that, I hear that as a parent and as a child. Mm. <laughs> right, that's a conversation that, you have that I need to be aware of with my kids and that I am currently aware of with my father. So it's not it's not easy, but I think, um, yeah, I think it's just like that mutual respect thing, isn't it? It's really important. Respect for yourself, respect for others. That's kind of the foundation. Um, because, yeah, I think my, my kids definitely, I think I'm sort of raising them not necessarily as children, but as future adults. So mm. giving them space, giving them space to grow. Um, but the flip side of that is that they do tell me their opinions. I'm like, how oh, how dare you? How dare you tell me your opinions? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you bridge the gap? Right. I because I've seen that look so different depending on how it was nurtured right? How the independent thought, how the honest communication was nurtured can look so varied. And I'm wondering, as a parent, what's some learning or unlearning that you think you had to do in order to make this conscious decision to raise your children as future adults? <clears throat> I think it was and just an experience of my the, the way in which I was parented. So I was given a lot of a fair amount of freedom, more freedom than, than most of my friends. Um, but I also saw the way in which who I was was limited by my parents' like designs for me. Um, and I think for my kids, I definitely try not to have designs for them. I think they're such strong characters that I kind of want to give them the space to be. Like, yeah. Obviously, that's like ridiculousness. And I'm like, no, that's not happening. You can leave that at the door. But in terms of desires who, who they see themselves being that really is none of my business kind of thing so I, mm -hmm. I try to have like behavior manners respect yeah and I can't escape that West Indian part of me that's like no there's certain things that are and aren't okay yeah um, and I think probably my parents approach to parenting was a lot more evolved than their parents and hopefully my kids approaches will be much more evolved and balanced in mind so I think it's just we all just sort of move it forward in our own way um, and hope that we're improving as we go along I think yeah I really appreciate that um clarification or or, or that explanation because it really aren't we supposed to help our next generation evolve and I think evolution does mean I go back to discomfort, the discomfort of doing things differently. Um, and it makes me think about something that you shared earlier that our 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 families, our, you know, people in our lives that got us to this point, I think a lot of what they do is out of a fear of knowing what the world looked like as they were maturing um, and developing as people and knowing that the world still is a variation of that. And some of it is just a little bit less conspicuous um, and wanting to keep us safe. And I've noticed that through wanting to keep us safe, it can be a bit stifling. So I always say, don't put your anxiety on me. I, I have my own <laughs> that I have to contend with. I don't need nobody else's. I like oh. that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your anxieties. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because it's like, 
oh, what was I reading? I was reading, I was reading or watching something. And it was talking about how uh, this woman and her, you know, little black son were just walking down the street and he was just running, you know, just fancy free, carefree, no care in the world. And this older black man, I don't, they were in maybe some part of town that maybe, you know, you don't necessarily belong here. Um, and then this older black man saw the little boy running and just carefree. Um, and I think stopped him, you know, you know, just, you know, just calm down, calm down. You know, you don't want to bring too much attention to yourself. And, you know, as we were discussing, I cannot remember what it was. Um, out of love, I think it's an act of love to want to keep a child safe. But again, mm -hmm. you grew up in a more fearful, not saying that growing up now is not fearful for, you know, black kids, but now you're passing on the fear that my child didn't have, didn't know anything about, you're passing it on out of an act of love and protection. But now he, now he's owned or now he's, you know, that's attached to him as something that wasn't his and something that he didn't ask for. And I think about that a lot, like in our communities, especially with what we're choosing to do with our lives, you know, living everywhere in the world and 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 just loving it. How do we, what is the balance? I don't know what the balance is when it comes to showing how much we care, keeping our fears to ourselves, setting the boundaries and championing one's ability to grow in their own right. I, it's so mind boggling. I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, I feel like my stance is to err as much on the side as freedom as possible. Like I want my kids to be free, like really, really free. Um, not, not without an element of mindfulness. I mean, I don't think free means reckless, but I want them to be able to express and one of the things I love about being here is that they can just roam around so remember there was a time last year where around sunset to around 6 30 and I'd actually be looking for my kids like it's getting dark where are my kids but I don't have to worry that they've been kidnapped I don't have to worry that anything bad has happened I mean I grew up in the 80s and on the edges of London so I was able to go and explore but in the back but in the UK now like when we went back um, we would be queuing in the supermarket and they would go off. I'm like, you can't go off. This is not Grenada. This is England. You need to yeah. stay back. Um, so I think getting them to be like immersed in being free, being able to express without having to be in a container because something terrible might happen to them or because everyone around them is like on edge, braced for something. Yeah. Um, I think that's a large part of why I moved here. Um, so they can just fully experience themselves and know how to handle themselves and, and then knowing how to handle themselves definitely I think comes from the guidance that I give them but for me like my greatest hope for my kids is that they can get to 18 25 30 and know themselves and not do what I did which is get to like 35 and then like oh who am I what do I want to do how do I handle myself you know like I think um all the, the, the guidance and the wanting to stay safe and the kind of containing that we can do as, as adults or as parents and as friends at some in some ways limits a person's own understanding of themselves. And ultimately you're the one responsible for navigating through all that. Yeah. No one else yeah. is doing it 
have the chunky rising the way that you do. Yeah. I see us as like stewards of mm -hmm. their development, right? Um, I don't have children yet. I have three nieces. I have lots of kids I work with every day. And yeah, I don't want to be carceral in the mm -hmm. way that I'm connecting with you. I don't, again, I don't want, I want you to feel free. I want you to feel yeah. free enough to say what you need to say in a respectful way. We're going to add that caveat. Um, and just know, like, no matter what you do, you're going to have a home base. Um, I think that's, that's, that's been a, that's been a fear that I've had is that not just for myself, but with some people that I know and, you know, friends I have is that just living your life on your own terms and out loud. Sometimes it feels like a separation from where you were rooted in before. And it feels like such a disconnect. Like even just to think about going back home, I'm just like, I don't even know what that means. I, to have been out in the world for so long, living life on my own terms to go back and everybody is in different seasons of life how do you reconcile that um i'm i'm like really okay with it <laughs> i really okay with it because like you know what it you know what it was before and there's yeah. no way that you you can't grow backwards like if you're growing you're growing hopefully other people might grow too right um, or you just end up connecting with people who are growing because it's really i find it quite not i'm not saying it in a kind it's not meant to be mean, but I find it quite painful to have to try and contort to something that I'm not. Like I, I am this, um, and not everyone likes it, which is fine. Um, so I kind of it maybe means it like the circle of folks who who understand you and who flow with is smaller, but you appreciate them that much more. Yeah, um, you empathize with folks who don't get it, but you can't pretend to be like them because you're, you're not really. Yeah, I like that. I noticed I noticed that you said like a few times, I it's not to be mean. I think that we limit ourselves so much for the fear of the perception of yeah. you know being what the world tells us we are mean, aggressive, you know, uh -huh. even though we're just knowledgeable and assertive. Um God, I wish we I, I wish there was a way to like break that stronghold because I do feel like sometimes I temper myself from saying what I honestly want to say because I'm so concerned about the perception even though I can be really measured and concise I can't control how you're going to see that um, or mm -hmm. how you're going to take that no matter what I do yeah I just remember that what it was like before like there's a, I, I just know what it's like when you when you're not there and you're watching someone else who is there, it can be a little bit triggering. Yeah. I remember there's, yeah. um, there's a podcast, you might have come across it called Fair of the Free Child, that's all about unschooling by a really amazing woman called Akila S. Richards. And she's written a book called on unschooling. Um, and there was a moment when I was still in the UK, I just had to stop listening to it because everyone was so free, so happy. I'm like, nah, this is too much. I, I don't like it. It's making me feel uncomfortable about the fact that I'm really stuck and you're not. And I just, so I kind of, I, I imagine that sometimes the way in which I speak, if I don't, if I don't package it, folks will be, they'll leave with the triggered part 
rather than understanding that it is a process and you too can get there. I'm not judging anyone else who isn't there, but where I am is where I am. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, being rooted and settled and this is where I am on the spectrum and how do we like disabuse ourselves from I won't even say caring because yeah there's there's a level of caring I think it's I don't know the word um it'll come to me but just like I think you're right though you are right I do need to be less bothered I do need to be less bothered I'm not there yet I'm not either I'm not either and I find myself in my head so much especially at the place that I work which is an international school one of the better ones, but still, you know, a cloak of, you know, white supremacy. Um, and I find myself frustrated daily with mm. combating narratives and feeling like I can't show up fully. And if I did, what would that do? And, you know, like you, I, I, I've written for publications out here and just being censored even though I'm a licensed professional and I and and you don't like the messaging it's it's a lot it's a lot and I want to ask you when you think about like your holistic wellness especially your mental health as a mom you know entrepreneur you know journalist I don't know should I say expat or repat what what would you identify as I say I say repat I started saying foreigner (laughs) Okay, foreigner repat. Um, what does that look like for you to prioritize your psychological wellness when you're shifting through all these different identities? Yeah, again, that's also that's also a work in progress. I mean, I think I have little things that I go to. One is being really unapologetic about rest. Yes. Like I need rest. Like my default can be to push through, but the experience for everyone is just horrible. And one of the good things about being close to middle age is that your body just says no. It's like your head might want to, but your body's like, ah, uh-uh, we're done. We're yeah. done now. Um, so yeah, that's that's really important for me. Um I have practices like I, I suffer from anxiety. I can get into anxious spins quite easily. Yeah. Um, so I have to work on what is it that will pull me out of that. Um and one of the things that I find really works is yoga nidra. So it's sort of um, meditation, but um, working with your body. Oh. So it's quite systematic. I think because I, I tend to be stuck up in my head, sort of working thoughts through my body just helps me to ground myself. Um, so that's really important. Um, creating boundaries has definitely helped my sense of well-being. Um, and yeah, one of the things I'm trying to do is have Fridays for myself. That's like my day. So the kids are in school until 1 p.m. And I don't schedule any appointments. Um, I don't schedule any sort of research. And that's like my, what is it? Uh, five hours of the week that are mine. Um, because I think as a mom and as a single mom, like there's a real danger of burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, until I burn out and then trying to figure out how to get out of it which is my normal pattern now I'm like okay how do I present prevent that because I'm really not in a position to kind of fall apart um and that does feel um 
I don't know if I feel guilty about it, but I do feel like it's probably something that I shouldn't mention out loud, but I just have on your show. Um, but it's more like I need to invest in myself. I really need to invest in myself. Um, so yeah, that that's what I do. Thank you. I'm so grateful for, for your sharing um, and recognizing that the through way into burnout is not prioritizing like your your needs, your health, your wellness. And I'm sure you know this as a mom, the subset of individuals that I find have the the more difficult time doing that are mothers. Um, I think that we're socialized to put our needs last, women in general, and then, you know, add the the blessing of being a mom and being responsible for other people's growth and development. I can see right? How the priority is, I need them to be good first before I am. And the analogy that when I'm working with parents tends to be when you think about the airplane and you do your safety training at the beginning, what do they tell you to do? They tell you, especially parents, put your oxygen mask on first, because if you are collapsed and incapable Who's caring for your kids? Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I also think like as um as a mom, what example am I giving to my girls? Like, do I want them to be like a burnout, frazzled wife or mother? I don't want that, and I don't want my son to treat his wife or mother of his children as if she's just like a machine and goes and goes and goes. So even they don't like it, even though they want me to be like on demand, nonstop, twenty four hours a day, I want some. <laughs> <clears throat> to them what like what balance looks like um because I think my mom my mom was definitely like a go-getter um but she I definitely I mean aside from gardening she used to garden but aside from that I didn't really see her like chilling being calm yeah um, so I want to give them that example even if they don't like it they don't get it right they will <laughs> they'll latch on to it like gardening is everything I have my own little in my apartment um I wish I could garden here in Beijing but it's just not conducive <laughs> but I you know when you think about this I'm always intrigued by the answer to this question when you if you were to close your eyes and think about you know your childhood what were some of the messaging around like mental health mental wellness taking care of yourself um things of that nature what can you recall nothing <laughs> That's literally everybody's answer. Everybody except for like one person. Yeah, no, that wasn't that wasn't the conversation. I mean, I think they made sure that we spend lots of time outdoors as a family. Um, and there was that sense of balance. But I mean, when I went to university, I actually, I mean, what would you call it? Um, I had like a really significant depressive incident, nervous breakdown, existential crisis, spiritual awakening. I don't know, whatever label you want to put on it. Um and I think my parents found it really difficult. They didn't really know how to talk about it. I was on medication. I came, I had to come back home. Um, and it was kind of just like, this is happening. It was clearly happening, but we didn't talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah. like tiptoeing around it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think as a parent, it must be like really concerning. You don't know why it's happening. You're like, is it my fault? How do we get them out of it? But if you don't talk about it, how do you ever resolve it kind of thing, which is really strange. Um, so with my son, he has, he has, he was having quite strong outbursts. 
um, and during the pandemic, I um, got him to have sessions with the counselor just because we were stuck in the house and I felt that he needed someone else to be yeah. able to vent. Um, and we do talk about how we're feeling. I mean, not necessarily like a like lovey-dovey way, not in a way that you would advise, but yeah. we do have the conversations. And I just think it's really important. And I've told them that it's times that I've struggled um, or that I'm feeling anxious. And I just think to be really open, it really helps. Because I think at some point, everyone's, Either you're going to experience it or somebody you know will experience it. And if you know that it's not to you, if you know that you can talk about it and it can be worked through, then the chances of succeeding are much better than like brushing it under the carpet. Exactly. <laughs> normalizing. I, I first want to say thank you. Right. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for, you know, the vulnerability of just being open. And you're right. Like nothing nothing changes if you don't lift the veil, if you don't shine a light, if it just sits and festers in darkness, it only intensifies. And, you know, doing the work that I do and then you being a parent, I, I know how sometimes things feel broken before they feel realigned. And in order for, hey, sweetie. <laughs> and like in order for our communities to heal because we have so much trauma between us um it's vital that we have these conversations i just think culturally what what can be some of of our like ancestral practices that can allow us to do that in a more culturally appropriate supportive healing way like it doesn't always have to be talk therapy right it can be so many different things and I'm really leaning trying to lean into the research of what does that look like like what could healing circles look like in you know Grenada through the you know Exodus Collective you know what does what does finding wholeness look like and working through mental health challenges look like on an island that's beautiful and, you know, immersed in nature. And there's just so many possibilities. Like my mind is like racing right now, honestly. Um, mm. But I want to ask you, I just have a few more questions. When you think about vulnerability, because all of what's happening right now is an exercise in vulnerability, which is why I love to do these. I wonder, do you see it as a strength? Do you see it as a hindrance? What are What are your thoughts? And now I see it as a as a strength. Up until probably five years ago, I was like, I don't do vulnerable. Um, <laughs> no, that's not a good strategy. Like, keep the balls up and just pretend. Yeah. Um, and I think it was actually one of a job that I was at. Um, they had a workshop. I think it was on vulnerability, and it really just like opened my mind. And I think especially as a, as a black woman, you're supposed to keep it together. You're yeah. supposed to be strong. You know that everyone is against you. Um, or you think that everyone's against you. So you just kind of fasten up the hatches, right? Um, but yeah, I think I list. I went. I listened. I took notes, and I tried it out. And I just think it's. Um, I appreciate when it feels like people are being authentic with me, right? It makes me feel like I can trust them. Yeah. Um, and authenticity is about not painting a picture. It's about being real, like being honest. Um, and even if it's not perfect. So uh, in terms of the learning that I had, just being open as to what your experiences at least gives someone else something to hang on to, right? If you're just presenting or, you know, 
turning up as what you should be, then it's really difficult to people for people to get a foothold into who you are and where you're at. Um, and yeah, I just think, and it's also for me, rather than feeling like I should present as what I think you want me to be, and then I never really trust if you really know who I am. Right. It can also be a bit of a filter, right? If I'm me and you're like, oh, that's disgusting, yeah. then I've saved myself yeah. investing. <laughs> um, whereas if I'm like, oh, I'm a bit messy, you're like, oh, that's okay. It's We can work on it together. Then it's like, wait, this is my person. Right. Um, right. So I think it takes a lot of the fear out of relationships. Um, it takes a lot of the pressure that you might put yourself on in order to appear to be one thing I mean I think it kind of it all loops together doesn't it when you're okay with yourself then you're okay to show up as yourself and you realize that actually those who get it well those who don't won't and that's fine that goes on exactly um you said you said it very clearly when when we're okay with ourselves it's, it's like the the inception point to so many other things that will begin to make sense in our in our lives so um I just really feel like any black woman that's working in some sort of environment around other people, we have literally the same experience of mm-hmm. keeping parts of ourselves caged in because we're, or at least I can speak from my experience, we're often told that we're too much in our, in our unedited form. And I hate it. Like it's a lot of work, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then but it's also great, I think, that with you moving back to, you know, repatriating back to Grenada, me choosing to be here in Beijing for the time being, really just giving these gifts to ourselves to lean into our own desires and what can life look like on our own terms. I really just, it, it feels like a sense of liberation and freedom that I don't think it has existed for us for for too long I'm wondering what are, what are your thoughts no I couldn't agree with you more and I also feel like um if you think about all the women who came before us like what they've been through like what they had to put up with what there was no option for them to escape from and the yeah. fact that we're doing and I think for me that's where the purpose comes from because I know for certain that like where I am now is someone's dream. It's someone's like wildest dream. Like where you are now is your great grandma, great, great grandmother's. Like she couldn't even have like the wildest option was to be you and here you are doing it. Um, so I think we have a responsibility in how we act and what we do that is greater than ourselves. Yeah. Right now, and it will be greater for future generations too. So that's why when people don't get it, I'm like, okay, other people got it. Like, I know why I'm here. You know why you're there. Um, so I think that that responsibility to kind of push things forward, to not stay safe, given that staying safe or staying stuck was the only option for, for so many generations. Like, it's it's really important for us as Black people. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, yeah, I don't have any follow-up for that one, which is <laughs> hardly the case. Um, I know we're nearing our interview. Um, what do you need for healing? What does healing look like for you at this stage of life? Uh, what do I need for healing? Um, I think more grounding. Mm. I definitely need to be more grounded. Um, right. The frequency with which I will 
spin-off is getting less, but it still happens, and that's like an impediments of flow. Um, and to ask for help. I don't like asking for help, but I'm I'm gonna have to start doing it. I'm gonna have to, I'm starting to do it. And it feels uncomfortable, but it's it's the only way to like, you know, when you're talking about businesses that you you scale, me yeah. as an individual is the only way to scale my impact is to get help, ask for help, and to give help. I mean, I do I feel like I give help, but I could probably give more. That kind of exchange, I think that that's what growth in healing looks like. So it's yeah. less self-centered, more about community and that exchange. Yeah, I just heard a really, I'm like, you know, I'm like the affirmations queen. Um, but I just heard such a good affirmation come out of what you said. Um, asking for help, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't get the wording right in my head right now. But, you know, as I ask for help, I continue to scale myself. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to have it. It's going to come. But it's. Yeah, leaning into the, you know, taking a breath as I ask for help, I scale my opportunity, I scale my potential, I scale my internal growth. I hear all of that from what you just shared. And so I hope that you can use that in any way that you feel would be beneficial. You know, the power of affirmative thinking and speaking really helps us to work through these really uncomfortable moments leaning into that discomfort um, and surrounding ourselves with community. So. My last question for you is going to be, please share with us what you are most proud of to date. What am I most proud of today? I mean, I think, yeah, well, I'm most proud of today. It's a really cheesy answer, but I think it's generally true is my kids. They're good people. And it's not not much to do with me. (laughs) (laughs) it's just who they are they're like they're cool they're not easy they're not like the sort of kids that you can just leave them and sit down reading a book and you'll come back and everything will be the same they're not that they don't come with that programming but um they're awesome individuals um they're an awesome responsibility to have in terms of who I am and what I do like they're good people to have to live up to and um yeah they're like my crew they're they're a good crew to have a challenging crew but a good crew, and I definitely feel proud of who they are and who they're becoming. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And I, I imagine that it would be utterly boring if they were not interesting kids, right? Um, I, I could try it for a day or two. They might be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so please let us know how we can follow your journey, stay connected to the Exodus Collective support, um, and just stay in touch. Yeah, so the best place to get in touch with me um, is on Instagram at the Exodus Collective. Um, I also have a YouTube channel. That's where I'm most active. If you just put in Exodus Collective, you'll find me on YouTube. Um, If folks are thinking about relocating and kind of unsure what the first step should be, um, I'm happy to jump on a call. I do clarity calls. Um, You can find those details on Instagram. But yeah, I just think... If you're feeling that urge to be somewhere else, just try it. Even if you just kind of go for, for two weeks and explore. I think sometimes exploring those little seeds and, or paths and seeing what they lead, um, you're getting that nudge for a reason. So why not explore it rather than just shutting it down and staying I agree. I agree with you. We got to lean into whatever the spirit is trying to tell us because um, it's popping up for a reason. So instead of asking why, I tend to have people to ask, what is this sensation trying to show me 
How do I mm -hmm. uncover that, right? Um, I'm so grateful for you sharing your time and your story with me and the community tonight. And I want to say thank you to everyone for tuning into another great episode of the Black Expat Experience. I encourage you to keep taking risks, keep impacting your communities, and always prioritizing your mental health. Connect to someone that is trying to grow in you know wonderful ways and please share this episode in your communities of influence and you know lastly i want to say again thank you zoe uh for sharing time with us today thank you i've really really enjoyed this conversation awesome questions and it's been lovely connect thank you for all the wisdom as well i've gained a lot and uh, same to you and on that we're gonna say peace people